Hello everybody and welcome to the World Citizen Artist Podcast. Today I'm very happy to be joined by Rajiv Goshal, who has worked for a variety of NGOs focusing on issues such as climate change and global development. Currently he works for Save the Children uh, and is based in Singapore. My name is Willem, I'll be the host alongside Clive today. So thank you, thank you everyone for joining. Um, Rajiv, to start off with, I was wondering if you could explain to the audience uh, briefly about your career and the kinds of global development projects you've been uh, working on in the past. Thank you very much, Willem and uh, Clive. It's an absolute pleasure and privilege to be here. And of course, thanks to World Citizen Artists to have taken so much leadership in youth engagement and advocacy in context of inclusive climate action over the past few years amongst other issues which are uh, uh, which are confronted by the world right now um, i have been working in the if you like humanitarian response development climate change and environmental sustainability sector over the last 27 years across a stream of organizations, including CARE International in India, UNICEF in India, uh, Asian Development Bank, World Bank, which are multilateral development banks in their own right. Um, also, the Green Climate Fund, which is the largest uh, climate finance mechanism in South Korea for the last six and a half years before I joined Save the Children I have also in between worked with the uh, Aga Khan Foundation uh, in Kyrgyzstan and India and uh, a treaty-based forestry organization, AFRICO, when I was working as a senior consultant with two, three UN agencies uh, out of South Korea until last uh, September or, sorry, August 2020. Uh, 2021, that is. In between, uh, I took up a few consultancies uh, working across the spectrum uh, or continuum of services which relate to humanitarian uh, uh, response, uh, development, climate change, and environmental sustainability, which includes the United Nations Development Program, uh, UNOPS, uh, and the likes. Um, currently, I'm working with Save the Children in Singapore and with oversight of the climate change and child poverty uh, portfolio, trying to lead efforts in relation to how to see uh, the uptake of this very new portfolio in Save the Children across the Asia-Pacific region. But of course, uh, uh, supporting Save the Children globally also in the uptake of the climate change portfolio as it is like i said earlier a very new uh, portfolio for save the children so this in a nutshell is where i'm coming from in terms of my experience and if i can sum it up it has been a cross-cutting uh, experience and one that i uh, absolutely love because it provided me uh, an opportunity to work across sectors and thematic areas, which I feel is absolutely crucial 
in relation to addressing any of the development and or climate change challenges we have today. Thank you. No, that's fantastic, Rajiv. Um, I was wondering, based on your experience, I know certainly i'm sure in the last few years i'm sure clive can attest to this there's been so much more energy going into climate change discussions from youth activists to artists obviously um wca hosted an event that was partially focused on uh, climate change last year and of course just around the world there's been a lot more uh, energy and discussion so i was wondering whether in your line of work you can really feel that impact and whether uh those discussions are really having an impact on the ground in terms of the projects you've been working on uh, very true, uh, William, and I would say uh, absolutely. We are feeling the impact of youth engagement and youth leadership in this. If it weren't for youth leadership, say, for example, through all your youth champions you have in the Northern Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere, I won't take any names here because I think there is a bit of a bias to uh, in terms of leaning towards Northern Hemisphere youth uh, leaders, but equally so, we must recognize that there are a number of youth leaders and children who are at the equally at the forefront of this uh, uh, movement uh, against climate change and its adverse impacts on human society, and of course the ecosystem as a whole. So it's been. The last few years have seen a huge uptake in such youth activism. And what that has meant for us as organizations working across uh, the, uh, the continuum of services in relation to humanitarian response, development, climate change, environmental sustainability, is actually an intensity in programming as a response to youth activism and engagement in such topics. I'll give you a clear example of how this has actually uh, pushed us, say, for example, in, in organizations like Save the Children, etc. So, for, for example, at COP26, the Conference of Parties uh, 26, which happened in Glasgow, there was a huge uh, you know, activism by youth, and which resulted really in one way or the other in mobilizing finance activism, or rather, sorry, in terms of advocating for additional mobilization of finance to 2025, because we had already missed the target for 2020 in terms of the $100 billion commitment by developed countries. So as, uh, as, the, uh, as uh, an after effect of the massive youth engagement in Glasgow and the rally thereof which took place of 100,000 people in Glasgow streets, a commission was set up wherein they started ideating and planning for taking or mobilizing more finances for climate uh, climate change to 2025 because targets for the 2020 100 billion dollar promise was actually missed in the first place so that is actually the effect youth activism is actually having on 
on climate actions or rather inclusive climate actions. And that is also showing or reflecting in the work of several international organizations, including uh, uh, ones I work with, for example, Save the Children, where we actually are promoting more intensely our engagement with youth, uh, children, both girls and boys, and, and others who are at the fringe of society in terms of their status, social status, etc. Thank you. No, thanks, thanks, Rajiv. And I was wondering on that on that note of activism, do you think are there certain forms of activism that you think really have a much more clearer impact, or do you think anything that contributes to that discussion around climate change or um, any kind of development issues, sustainable issues, um, is all important and and really crucial to uh, the situation we find ourselves in? See, the best way I can answer the question, William, is actually to see these issues from an interconnected manner. You can't have youth or any other group, social group, uh, or any group, uh, you know, which talks about activism on certain cases or certain topics. Um, and the point to uh, consider here is how youth can be educated along with other social groups to talk about issues which are holistic and interconnected in manner. You can't talk about, say, for example, humanitarian crisis without talking about climate change crisis. Both are interconnected with each other. It, you know, it is passe to actually talk about humanitarian crisis without talking about climate crisis. And as recently as last year, the UN Secretary General actually mentioned this. Any climate change crisis is actually a humanitarian crisis and vice versa. So for youth and other social groups who want to do activism and are doing it across the globe, the main and most important thing is for them to be educated on advocating and raising their voices for, for a holistic perspective of addressing such crisis across the spectrum of services or across the spectrum of challenges we face as a, as a, a globe, uh, as a global society today. So we need to push youth and other social groups to help us understand that we're not talking about working in silos or compartments any longer. We need to work on development. We need to work on humanitarian response. We need to talk, uh, work on climate change and more broadly environmental sustainability. And that can only be done if we have advocacy networks, campaigns led by young people and other social groups who understand the critical importance of tying all these threads together and making sure we are addressing these through integrated programming and other approaches that we might take through organizations who are dealing with this. Thank you. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's, it's really quite eye-opening. I think there'll be a lot of 
activism generated through through sparking these interconnected discussions from wide ranging issues that obviously relate to one another. Um, so slightly on a more on a more personal note, what was it? Um, was it this kind of activism that really sparked your interest? What what was the kind of process that got you interested in these discussions? Actually, tell you very frankly, Willem, I've always enjoyed working with young people and children from a long time. And that that dates back to my, actually, my start of my career, uh, uh, which was, which happened with my first internship at the Union of Concerned Scientists in Cambridge, Massachusetts, as soon as I, I left, uh, or soon as I actually completed my college in the United States. There, I actually supported the Union of Concerned Scientists on sustainability, on sustainable development in response to several international accords and protocols which had happened at that time. And we had initiated a public outreach program which, uh, which kept us connected with or you know, reached out to leading academic academicians, Nobel Prize winners, um, uh, citizens, uh, young people, students from universities across the US and the globe and, and others. So that was my first initiation in terms of public, public outreach on, glo on global, on critical global matters. And then following which, when I came back to India, uh, I started my career with CARE International in, in, in India, and we worked with a number of children and young people on a number of development projects. And they played a very key component in terms of advocacy and communications on important development subjects which need to be promoted, needed to be promoted. Thereafter, I worked with UNICEF and of course, as you know, UNICEF is a child rights organization. And again, there I was influenced by, you know, several methods and processes which kept us very well connected with youth movements and, you know, how youth volunteers work at the grassroots to promote positive behaviors in relation to uh, in inclusive, gender responsive, development actions and other actions that would benefit socially excluded groups over the short, medium and long term. Then if I can just sum it up, we, uh, when I was working with the Green Climate Fund, we were working with active civil society organizations who are in turn very well connected with grassroots communities. So there again, we had opportunities to talk about gender and social development and indigenous people's planning, environmental and social safeguards, together with uh, civil society organizations, their networks, and within those networks with young activists and uh, children who work at the grassroots to ensure community-based and inclusive community, uh, climate actions can be undertaken. Then of course, when I moved in as a consultant and then now a, a full-time staff at Save the Children, much of our work deals with inclusive climate actions. Uh, and also through this uh, paradigm, uh, our focus on young people's activism 
which plays a very important role in in promoting inclusive uh, development and climate change actions, particularly at the grassroots level. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's really interesting to see, obviously, the activism to today and how that connects with what, what really sparked your interest personally. So, like I said, with these discussions going on with the work of um, various NGOs like the uh, Save the Children um, across the world, are you, again, on a more personal level, are you optimistic about meeting um, these various pledges? Uh, are you optimistic about the future in regards to climate change and these various global issues uh, in tackling them sort of thoroughly, basically? I'll give, uh, if you don't mind, I'll give a bit of a mixed bag response on this. I am optimistic because what is happening today is a lot more visibility to, uh, about climate change issues. And there's a greater urgency to this movement, or rather uh, climate change programming, as opposed to what it was 20, 30 years back. It's not that we weren't working on environmental protection slash climate change programs. In fact, from my own experience of working on DFID or UK aid uh, funded projects in India on livelihood security or other holistic livelihood security, where we were actually addressing more or less the same thematic and sub-thematic areas as you will see in quote unquote climate change projects and programs today. This is not a new you know, thing which is happening right now in terms of climate change programming. Like I said, we were doing it even 20, 30 years back. But the major differences are two. There are two major differences. One is it is ga increasingly gaining more visibility in terms of what people are doing. And the number of issues related to this visibility has given rise to, for example, increased urgency. So whereas a 20, 30 years back, if we, even if we were doing, say, climate change slash environmental protection related projects, these were not taken up in as much urgency as it is taken up today. And quite a bit of that, of this urgency, uh, quite a bit of that, the credit for this urgency must and should go to a lot of these social movements, youth activism that is going around in the world. And the visibility, this type of activism, grassroots activism, you know, is getting as a result of this visibility there are a lot of players who are actually acting for example when i talked about mobilizing climate finance to 2025 a decision which was taken at cop 26 happened mainly because of this activism which took place in glasgow and around the world even though COP26, which was meant to be the most inclusive COP, didn't really quite happen that way. However, the positive side of it is when 100,000 people marched in, in Glasgow, a direct consequence of that 
is that there was a committee formed, a finance committee, which had oversight of looking out for prospects and strategies in context of understanding how we can actually extend the target and increase you know, finances, mobilize these finances to 2025 in terms of climate change. Because we have, we have, as I mentioned earlier, missed the bus on mobilizing 100 billion till 2020. So that's the positive side of it. The, the not so positive side of it, if you'll allow me just a one or two minutes on this, is that even though climate finance has increased substantially over the past few decades, in terms of mitigation, it's sitting around 500 to 600 billion, uh, billion dollars per year, which is, which is a substantial increase. However, when you're talking about grassroots, community-based, or even you know, wider adaptation projects or adaptation financing, even though there has been a slight increase over the past few years, it's still stagnating at $46 billion or so. So there's a huge financing gap between climate change mitigation, which runs into $500 to $600 billion a year, and adaptation financing, which even though there has been a slight increase in the past few years, it still is around $46 billion. So you can see how much of a... Uh, 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 how much of an interest people have in actually promoting community-led, inclusive adaptation-type projects. Because within that 46 billion adaptation port, only 10% or less is actually going to locally-led adaptation projects. And that has been a major contention with all social groups who have been voicing their concerns about how much money actually flows directly to local communities. So on, on that note, Raji, um, I mean, you bring up a really interesting point of how local communities actually can sort of implement projects to, to really make a difference um, in, in that area. Um, uh, and obviously, given in the current environment, there's, well, there's A, a lot of activism, but B, a lot of people who've, who've kind of been in a slightly dejected in a state of despair because they can kind of see the changes in the world around them, but not so much progress being made. Do you think these forms of activism, these forms of discussion, which are very vocal, um, do you think going forward that's something, that's a sort of strategy that can be effective, or do you think something really needs to change? I mean, I, I think I've spoken this earlier with several organizations and in my discussions uh, with others eh, when I've ever had to speak in public forums. I think youth engagement on such issues, including uh, in climate change and sustainable development, is very important. However, we must need to understand that we need to incentivize youth activism while even while understanding the normative uh, discourse around it and the need for it to happen over a long term. 
without incentivizing children and young people, I'm not sure if youth activism will, able, will be able to sustain it, itself over a longer period of time. The reason why I'm saying this is because young people also go through their own, their own life's transition, life transition. So even if they are participating in act activism, it will be for a very short while because then they would need to, you know, graduate to their own life course. They have their own life cycle. And within the life cycle, you know, they would be saying, say, for example, three years to four years, very active in on such issues, global issues. And then suddenly, you know, they would drop off in terms of graduating to college where they would then after college take on jobs and therefore, uh, you know, they won't have the time really to participate in full-time uh, uh, global activism and advocacy and communications around such important global issues. So another way of, of making them uh, uh, participate more meaningfully and over a longer period of time, I feel, is to incentivize them, their families, so perhaps in some ways uh, or through monetary incentives so that, you know, their opportunity costs are taken care of in relation to the time and effort they provide over a course of several years, without which youth activism might not be fully sustainable. And the quality of that activism might just lack after a certain number of years. This is a, an issue we are facing with number of youth movements and partnerships we have with uh, young people's organizations across, across the board, not only in the humanitarian sector, but also in the development, climate change, and environmental sustainability sectors. So, Almost on that note, because I know a lot of people who, who will be watching this will perhaps be youth activists themselves or perhaps artists that are incredibly uh, engaged and passionate about the uh, climate change debate. Um, in effect, what, what is your message to them who, who they want to keep making a change? They keep want to keep um, they want to keep intervening in that discussion. Um, so, so what's your message to them as somebody who's almost working on the ground with with a lot of these issues? I think the key message I would give to activists, regardless of where they come from, is just keep going at it, especially young people, children. Uh, I'm leaving aside for now performing artists or other professionals, uh, you know, who have who might have more time is I would say just keep going at it and and consider, uh, you know, pathways with organizations you're working with and and provide and you know do some negotiations in relation to how you see your participation might be a meaningful way of con contributing to that organization's cause or to global issues moving forward and one of the ways of doing that would be to see if you all can make any arrangements with such organizations to incentivize your participation in a quality and meaningful manner so that 
it's not a very temporary association you have, but also, you know, lasts for a longer bit of time than what might be the usual norm. We've had quite a few dropouts, you know, in several contexts in terms of youth participation and activism. For example, if you had some, say, children's advisory groups or youth act uh, activists who've been working with us on a number of projects and programs in relation to advocacy and, and campaigns, after a while, you'd see that they would have probably disappeared because they have been going want, wanting to go to college and graduate out of school, take up jobs, etc. So one way of ensuring that there is at least cer certain semblance of continuity while they are there is to ensure that there is an agreement, albeit perhaps in principle, that there's some cer certain sense of incentivization which happens between them and the organization they are attached to. In terms of performing artists and other professionals who are doing this, I think the key is for them to work with grassroots communities. For example, it's not always you know, important for us to address such global issues from high-level platforms. What should be done instead, and equally important to note, is they should actually be working with grassroots communities to ensure that the voices of grassroots communities are heard through mediums promoted by professional artists or performing artists or any other globally recognized uh, musicians or you know actors, etc. For example, what I'm saying here is, William, in another sense, is it is very important to actually localize the advocacy uh, and communications platform. What I mean by that is to ensure that we understand grassroots communities in the Southern Hemisphere have an equal knowledge and understanding of what is going on in the world in terms of climate change, for example, as much as climate change scientists or you know climatologists or who are doing it in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, and this relates to the entire issue of promoting indigenous knowledge, where it is absolutely crucial for such uh, activists to team up with indigenous peoples and the knowledge and understand that these provide an equal platform for understanding what is actually happening to our ecosystems and nature. Thank you. No, thanks, Rajiv. That's a really, I think, really powerful point and really useful advice for people to take away. I mean, just before we wrap up, I was wondering if you could just clarify what what does working with um, grass uh, with grassroots community what does that look like in in practice? Just uh, just to clarify, grassroots communities would include, say, for example, women would include children, girls and boys, including of gender diverse, uh, you know, of different gender diversities, would include socially excluded groups. Uh, so these socially excluded groups would depend on where you are in which country. 
So it would have different dimensions, like for example, my own country, <clears throat> this entire very archaic and traditional and uh, you know caste-based uh, uh, groups uh, who really need to you know come up in the social ladder. Uh, and uh, for example, indigenous people, for example, within the indigenous, indigenous peoples, you have Native Americans uh, and others who are work, who are tribal populations, who have excellent knowledge of the, of nature and ecosystems around them. And quite frankly, uh, the entire discourse on climate change and environmental sustainability have been overtaken over the last few centuries by the Northern Hemisphere, by experts in the Northern Hemisphere. I think it's, it's a critical moment for us to actually recapture that narrative and say, look, there are a lot of local and grassroots communities and, indigen in, and thereby indigenous knowledge, which actually are equally effective in their understanding of how nature has played out as a result of human activities and as, and as a consequence of how humans have actually destroyed, you know, majority of the ecosystem that we have actually come to witness today. So that is what I actually mean by working together and very closely with indigenous and local communities to understand how we can actually promote their knowledge paradigms, even while recognizing there are expert climate change expertise in the Northern Hemisphere. As one German scientist quite recently said, I can tell you what is happening to the climate, but I really don't know what, how to actually give you an answer in terms of how to respond to it. That response perhaps, William, without being overly romantic, comes perhaps from local communities, indigenous peoples, children, young people, and others who actually live life at the grassroots and live it in a totally different or through a totally different experience where they survive from mouth to stomach on an hourly basis. Well, thank you very much, Rajiv. I mean, you've given us plenty of food for thought, things to think about, fantastic advice. Um, and that was a really interesting discussion. So thank you very much, Rajiv, for joining. Um, thank you, everybody who, who watched uh, or, or listened to us. Um, please check us out at www.worldcitizenartist.org. And I'm sure we'll see you soon. Thank you very much for your time. And it was an absolute uh, privilege to be here and look forward to continued uh, association with World Citizen Artists. Thank you so much.